Hi, this is David and Barbie Cooper. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's always a privilege to share this time with you. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. And for more information and resources to help you grow in your walk with the Lord, go to malparent.com. Thank you for your generous support. It helps the ministry greatly. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ, our great high priest. As we look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, loneliness is a feeling that we all go through at times. It's a feeling of being abandoned and isolated. We feel like no one cares, no one notices. This is not really true, but rather an exaggeration in our own minds. Maybe we've been hurt, left out, even betrayed by someone. The result is we feel isolated and alone, as if nobody really understands and nobody cares about what we're going through. The book of Hebrews presents Jesus as our high priest who cares about us. That's what the meaning of his priesthood, that he is there for us, interceding for us. The word priest actually means one who builds bridges. Jesus built a bridge for us to cross the chasm of sin, to be reconciled to God. And he lives in heaven as our high priest. And the book of Hebrews helps us understand what the priesthood of Jesus means to us and really how it defeats that feeling of loneliness and isolation and abandonment. The first truth we see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, is about the character of our high priest. Who is our high priest? He writes here, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm to the faith we profess. That's how we become Christians. We confess our faith in Jesus and devote our lives to him. But he says we need to hold on to that confession of faith. And when you understand that Jesus is your high priest, you'll hold on to your faith. Well, the words great and the word high are very important here. It means that Jesus is supreme over all other religious leaders, that he did for us what no one else has ever done, atone for our sins on the cross. He's not just a priest. He's our great priest. He's high. He's exalted in the heavens above all. He tells us here that Jesus ascended to heaven as our high priest. We know that after his resurrection, he spent 40 days on the earth teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God and then miraculously from the Mount of Olives, he was transfigured into heaven. A cloud appeared and suddenly when the cloud was gone, the disciples could no longer see him. The son of God returned to heaven, a place that you and I will always be one day when this life is over. Hebrews chapter eight, verses one and two even talks about fixing our thoughts on Jesus our high priest. And it tells us very clearly there that Jesus has ascended to heaven, that he sits at the right hand of God as our high priest. And it describes him there sitting at the right hand of God because his work is finished. In the Old Testament, the priests never sat down when they would go to the temple every day and and go through the ministry they had to perform for people. There were no chairs for the priest. In other words, their ministry was never complete. Because the ministry of the Old Testament priest pointed to Jesus coming, the great high priest, who gave his life on Calvary, finished the cost of redemption, shouted, it is finished from the cross. And so the book of Hebrews describes Jesus as having sat down at the right hand of God, which 
Doesn't mean that in eternity, Jesus spends every waking moment of time sitting in a chair. It's a word picture describing the finished work of Jesus as our high priest. That lets us know we don't have to go to some human priest to get to God. We have a great high priest. And we hold on to our confession of faith because of who Jesus is, the Son of God. Now, some people make the mistake sometimes of anchoring their faith in their circumstances. But your circumstances are going to change. You're going to go through good times and bad times. We see that in the world around us. We see it in our personal lives. And sometimes when people are going through difficulties, they almost give up their faith. But your faith isn't based on your life situation. Your faith is based on a living Savior. Jesus never changes. No matter what happens in your life, the ups and the downs, the difficult times, the great times, Jesus remains the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Our faith is in Him as our Savior and our Lord, not anchored in anything in this world. He is our great high priest because of who He is, the Son of God, and because of His finished work. But we also see here the compassion of our high priest. He goes on to say that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Hebrews 4.15. This is a remarkable statement about Jesus. It says that Jesus sympathizes with us. And this in the Greek language of the New Testament is the root of the actual English word sympathy. The King James Version translates this word that Jesus has touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And it's only used in this place in the New Testament, this sense of sympathy. This is fascinating to me because many people leave emotion out of religion. Some people say, well, spirituality is not emotional. That's not true. It's very much emotional. Real spirituality embraces the total person, not part of the person. Here you see, even in divinity, the nature of God, sympathy and emotion, touch with the feelings of our infirmity. You see, you and I are emotional creatures because we're made in the emotional image of God. And emotions are so important in life. When people tell you, don't listen to your emotions or dismiss your emotions, that's not even rational. God made us emotion. We have these rich emotions. And sometimes they affect us. Sometimes they do us in. Sometimes we're happy. Sometimes we're sad. But it's because God has made us emotional. And the thing is, when you are going through emotional difficulties, you feel alone, you feel isolated, you feel sad, you feel depressed. Your Savior is moved by what you feel. The Bible tells us of Jesus in Matthew 14 to 14, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. That word compassion comes from the Greek word of the intestines of the body because the ancients kind of believed that emotions were centralized in the stomach region. And we, we even talk about gut-level feelings. We understand the imagery of that. But Jesus was moved with compassion. And you may tell yourself sometimes that God's disappointed in you or the Lord Jesus is disappointed in you. None of that is true. God loves you with an everlasting love. Jesus has moved with compassion towards you, even in your worst moments, in your worst times, in your deepest failures. Jesus has moved toward compassion. 
And he tells us here that our high priest sympathizes with our weaknesses. Now that word is important. It aptly describes every one of us, how weak we really are. Weaknesses, plural. We have weaknesses spiritually and emotionally, mentally, even in our bodies. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul the Apostle writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we know not how to praise we all, but he makes intercession for us with groans that words cannot express. Think about that. The Holy Spirit is given to help us in our weaknesses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, Paul talks about the famous thorn in the flesh, and he asked God to take it away from him three times. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will rather rejoice in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. All of us have weaknesses, and yet we have a great high priest who doesn't judge us for our weaknesses, but he's sympathetic toward our weaknesses. He understands our weaknesses. He's compassionate toward our weaknesses. He loves us in spite of our weaknesses. And he will help us with our weaknesses. And the reason is because he faced the same temptations we do. He was tempted like we are in every way. Tempted by the stress, by the seductions of the world, all the pressures that we all feel. But he did not sin. That's what makes Jesus unique. That's why you can't follow some other religious leaders. They're all sinners in need of grace. Jesus is the sinless, divine Son of God. And yet in his humanity, he knows what it feels like to be tempted, to go through trials and difficulties and challenges and to be lured off course. But he didn't sin, but he knows what it feels like. That's the point. And he identifies with what you and I are going through. He identifies with our weaknesses and our struggles and he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to help us. He can not only sympathize with us, he's the only one who can save us from our weaknesses. And so he gives us a call, he gives us a challenge. He gives us an invitation. And since Jesus is the Son of God, ascended into the heavens, since he is the Savior of the world and our high priest who sympathizes with us, who can help us in our weaknesses, since all of that is true, Here's the action step, verse 16 of Hebrews 4. Let us then, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and because of his priesthood, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells us in these moments of weakness where we need to go. We all go for help when we're going through struggles. Most importantly, we need to come to Christ, our high priest, he says, you need to go to the throne of grace. Now, this is literally from the Greek language, the mercy seat, the place of mercy. God's throne in heaven is a place of grace and mercy, not a place of judgment. Now, this mercy seat is interesting because in the Old Testament temple, they had a room called the Holy of Holies. The high priest only went in there once a year and he made an offering, provided the atoning blood and there was a golden box. It was two feet wide, two feet high, and four feet long. And it was overlaid with pure gold. And it had a top on it, an elaborate solid gold top. It had two big angels on the top of it. Their wings were facing each other. 
Moses designed this amazing piece of architecture from the vision God gave him for the first tabernacle that became the beautiful temple in Jerusalem. This box was called the Ark of the Covenant. And the priest went in there once a year, the Holy of Holies, sprinkled a little bit of blood seven times on the top of that Ark of the Covenant between those angels. And the lid of that box was called the mercy seat. And what the Apostle Paul in Hebrews is telling us is that in prayer, you come into the very Holy of Holies where only the high priest in the Old Testament went once a year. But you can come anytime you want, confidently, not fearfully, to the mercy seat and approach God because of Jesus Christ, your high priest, who's made a way for you to walk boldly into that Holy of Holies. Nobody could go into that room. There was a big veil in the temple in front of it. Only the priest went in there. But you know, when Jesus was died, offered on Calvary as our Savior, the Bible tells us in Matthew's Gospel that there was a great earthquake and the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. God reached out His hand from heaven and tore that veil in the temple wide open. And behind that open veil was the Ark of the Covenant. Well, that's a symbol. That's a physical demonstration in history of a spiritual reality. The veil in the temple that hid the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat from people is now open. And the point is, you and I can come confidently with boldness and freedom to God our Father. We don't have to be afraid of our sins and our past. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, atoned for our sins, and he invites us to come confidently. And we approach with that fullness of confidence and faith. The writer of Hebrews will reiterate this for us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, that we can come to God confidently with full assurance of faith through the inner veil, a new and living way through Jesus. So when you approach God in prayer, don't come to Him with fear and and don't refuse to pray because You're looking at your weaknesses and feel like you don't qualify. No, he invites you to come with freedom and confidence to his mercy seat. And what do we get when we pray, when we come to God through Christ? We receive mercy. That's the word of a gift, to receive something. You know, when God, somebody gives you a gift, you receive it. Not something you earn, not something you deserve. And some of you feel like you got to deserve the mercy. No, mercy is not something you work for or, or get yourself qualified for or try to deserve or earn. Mercy is a gift from God. God overlooking our sins, covering our sins, accepting it's just like we are. His mercy is a gift to you. Mercy is the opposite of judgment. James chapter 2, verse 13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So when you go to God in prayer, through Jesus Christ, your high priest, you receive mercy as a gift and you find something. Now you find something you're looking for. That's a different verb. Mercy is one thing, receive a gift, but you find grace and you're looking for grace. The word grace is a power word. It means the the benefits of God's generosity, the blessings of God, the favor of God. Some of you are looking for grace in your life today. You're looking for answers to your needs. You're looking for help in your life. He says, well, if you'll come to God's throne of grace by faith in Jesus, you'll find the grace you need, grace to help us. Doesn't make your life perfect. You still got to live in this real life. 
got to live in this real world, but he'll give you grace and power and ability, insight and wisdom and knowledge and favor to be able to help you with everything you're facing today. So you receive mercy, but you find grace in times of prayer. And today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter who you are, even if you feel like you're alone and isolated, you're not. We have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us come confidently to the throne of grace. I want to pray for you today and for the needs in your life. I want you to bring your need before God. I want you by faith as I pray with you and for you to receive mercy in your life and believe that you're going to find the grace you need. Father, I thank you for the time we shared in the Word of God today and how rich this passage is to remind us we have an open way to come to you to come to the throne of grace. I pray for every person today that they may receive your mercy as a gift, not live under judgment and condemnation. I pray that they'll find the grace they need right now as you minister to them to help them at their point of need. We ask and we receive today in Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining me for this time of study of the Word. I want to make sure that you get the Mount Parent app so that you and I can stay together. You get the sermons, the worship, everything about the ministry for you and your family that Mount Parent provides as well. So get the app today. Download it today. And as I mentioned, the messages, you can subscribe to my sermon podcast. We do put special teachings that only appear there from time to time as well, kind of as a special gift for people. You can hear the sermons, the teachings. You can go back through the library and look up topics of things that would help you in your life. So get the app today, subscribe to the sermon podcast, and I'll see you for our next study together as we continue to dig deep. I trust the message has been an encouragement to you today. Remember to follow us on social media and connect with us at mountparent.com. I'll see you right here next week for a fresh message from God's Word.